What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. Today, we're talking about 10 reasons you're not hitting your body comp goals. They're going to be some training-related, some nutrition-related, some mindset-related, and they're not necessarily in order of importance, so stick around. There's definitely, I think all 10 of them are pretty meaningful, and obviously, it's you know it's not like you're doing all 10 of these things, but if you've been struggling with a body comp-related goal, it's very possible that you're falling into one or more of these categories. Cool. First one is that you're always trying to cut. Your body comp goals are more than are about more than just getting lean. There's a muscle building side of this thing. There's gonna be a necessity to get out of a deficit and actually give yourself the resources to build muscle. Like you're not just going to calorie deficit your way to the body of your dreams. You don't just look like that underneath. If you look like someone, if you if you think of like the kind of the, the physique that you might be after, like that's not what you look like underneath. You also are going to need more muscle at some point. You need to spend time out of a deficit to build to build that muscle. Yes. It's very possible that losing fat is is part of it for you. That's very possible. But gaining muscle is is going to give you the muscle you want, A, and B, actually spending time out of a deficit will actually make you more successful in your fat loss endeavors, let's say. Like one of the best predictors of success in a cut is actually staying in maintenance, eating enough for long enough to feel good. So we have this this yes, fat loss is a part might be a part of your physicals, cool. There's also a muscle building side of it, which is important uh, for the end result aesthetically, but there's also spending time out of a deficit, which is independently going to help you be more successful in your fat loss phases. Like if you can spend enough time at maintenance to tell your body that it is safe to feel good hormonally, to have a better relationship with food, you know, to get to a point where you feel so good that the idea of cutting isn't as daunting because you're recognizing that the trade-offs you'll need to make to cut are short-term, you know, not forever trade-offs. And so if you're always trying to cut, you're missing out on probably being successful. Obviously, if you're always trying to cut, it sounds like your cuts are not successful. One of the best things you can do to be more successful in a fat loss phase is actually spend time out of a deficit so that your body hormonally and you psychologically get to a place where you can actually conquer that in the future. And you're gonna need more muscle, more muscle than you have right now. And I'm not necessarily saying you need to be in a surplus, but shit, you definitely need to spend some time out of a deficit. So yes, number one reason that you're not hitting your body comp goals is that you're always trying to cut. Number two, your need sucks. We talk a lot of shit about, you know, you don't need to do cardio to lose weight. You don't, you just need a calorie deficit. Like it's true, you don't. You know, you can't outwork your bad diet. That's true. But man, it's gonna be hard as fuck to out diet your sedentary lifestyle. Like. You cannot work your bad diet, fine, but you also can't, it, it's unlikely or will be, will be much harder to out-deficit your sedentary lifestyle. Like, it's just flat out going to be hard to lose fat consistently at five or 6,000 steps per day. And, and that's not because there's some like special woo-woo shit going on here where you need to get a certain amount of steps or something with your metabolism. It's like, it's literally, it's very simple. If you don't move a lot, your calories are just gonna have to go even lower, which makes adherence even less likely. Like dieting is already difficult. Being in a deficit is already uncomfortable. And now it has to be more uncomfortable and more and, and less practical. Like I always think of calories going low is yes, it's uncomfortable because calories are low and that probably correlates with hunger. But I also think the lower your calories have to go, the less practical that adherence becomes because we live in a, in a society where highly palatable, high calorie foods are readily available, cheap at the, like you can door dash 1500 calories to your door in six minutes by snapping your fingers. And so we live in a, in a, in a food environment right now where the lower your calories go, the less 
practical it's going to be for you to live in that food environment, go out with your friends, eat over at mom's, uh, you know, be able to have takeout. Like it's going to make that less practical, um, which is one of the reasons people struggle to adhere. And so if you're if you're neat, let's say your activity or movement is really low, your calories are going to have to go even lower, which makes adherence, which is already everyone's issue, even less likely, right? And so just in, in case there are people out there thinking, well, all I can do is walk, so that's useless. It's fucking not. Like, it's not. Uh, and I went over this discussion of walking being useless in another podcast, but it's absolutely not useless. If you're like getting five or 6,000 steps and you think you could get north of eight if you just went for more walks, but you're not doing it because you think walking is useless, it's absolutely not. Um, listen, man, it's just, it, you know, and I felt like at the end of these, I was trying to be like, okay, don't just shit on stuff, like try and give a, a helpful recommendation. Like, just get up to 8,000 steps per day or more on average, or it's gonna be really, it's gonna be harder, right? Is it still totally possible to lose fat with low steps? Absolutely. Are you making something that's already kind of hard, harder? Yes. And so get up to 8,000 steps a day or more, or it's just gonna be harder than it has to be, and it's already, you know, not the easiest thing in the world. Cool, number three. Your body comp goals actually take way more work than you realistically realistically can or even want to do. Listen to that again. Your body comp goals actually take way more work than you realistically can or even want to do. Like this is a classic case of not really understanding what it what it costs to achieve certain goals. Like it's important to understand what your goals are going to cost in terms of commitment, time commitment, effort commitment, like mental focus. Um, like you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I, I want to look like this, or I want to get leaner, I want to build more muscle, or I want to get stronger, I want a 400-pound deadlift, or whatever. It's like, okay, we need to work backwards from that and assess what is that going to cost you in terms of trade-offs, and how do those trade-offs look in your life? It's easy to say, hey, it's going to take a lot of commitment and four times a week, and okay, great, but now I need to apply that to my life. It's like, can I actually even fit that sort of effort in my life emotionally, psychologically, practically? Do I have time for it? Like, you'll actually be happier thinking, you know what? I don't actually want to do that. If someone's like, hey, I really want to build like maximum muscle and I want to I want to get on stage and I'm going to do my best or I want to get, I just want to get as jacked as possible. And I'm like, okay, you're going to need to train probably four times a week for about 60 to 75 minutes, let's say. Um, really prioritize protein, probably go through some building and cutting phases. You know, really when you go out, you can go out, but we're going to have to like put some, you know, some sort of detail in place, some sort of like food principles where, you know, you're not going completely off the rails whenever you're at a social event. We're going to have to put up some flexible uh, uh, understanding of how to do this. And you're like, wow, this is like, it's really going to take a lot of time. I'm like, yeah, you said you wanted to get really jacked or the most jacked that you could be. Like, it's going to take effort if you like, and you're like, wow, you know, actually, I don't want to do that. Like, it, it, it's, it, you're going to live a happier life admitting to yourself that you don't want to pay what this costs, you're gonna think about that less. I always give this example of like, if you walk into Best Buy and you know those, you guys know those like crazy TVs that like there's always like a gecko on there. It's like crazy 4K pixelation. Looks like the fucking thing's jumping out of the TV. And then you're like, wow, that'd be sick. I love that. I do it every time I'm in Best Buy. I walk by TVs. I'm like, wow, I'm gonna get that TV. And then I look at the price and it's like, whatever. It's like, let's say it's like $3,000 TV. And I'm like, oh my God, like that's insanely expensive. I do not want to pay that. That's unrealistic. That's ludicrous price. Because I've decided that even though this TV is sick, it's awesome, I would love it. I don't want it because of what it costs. And because I've done that analysis of like, okay, this thing is great, I would love it, but it costs me something I can't or I'm either not willing or cannot pay. 
I'm not, I don't go home thinking about that. I never go home thinking about that TV. I don't lose sleep over it. It doesn't own my life. And it's like a lot of people are out there want, saying or thinking in their minds that they want a goal, but if they were actually confronted with what it costs to get that goal, they'd be like, oh, actually, I don't want that at all. And they would go home and not lose sleep over it, not make it the most important thing in the world. And it's like, if you, you don't have to lose weight, you don't have to, you know, build muscle, you don't have to do any of this stuff. But if you embark on, on, on a journey to achieve a certain goal, like let, let's start by being honest with ourselves about what that costs. And if you don't want it, like you're gonna be happier admitting that you don't really wanna do this right now. Or or even, you know, actually, you know, I don't realistically have time for that level of a commitment. Maybe look for, maybe look for a lower hanging fruit. Like you're gonna be happier than trying to jam this goal into a life that doesn't have room for it or into a like a personal preference of how to live your life that actually doesn't want to do that. Cool, number four is you are all or nothing with nutrition, right? You eat clean all week, you binge on the weekend. You stick to your plan for four to six weeks and you fuck off for four to six months. You know, you assume, hey, if it's not perfect, then screw it. If I can't have total control, I'll go completely off the rails. You know, you have that like last supper, last supper mentality where you're like, uh, you know, you have one bite of pizza and you're like, well, this food is bad and I, I'm not supposed to have this food, but now I'm having it. And so I won't have it for a while after this, so I should just go nuts. Instead of recognizing you can incorporate anything and there are no good and bad foods and that it, you can be flexible and it doesn't need to be all or nothing. Like I've, I've done podcasts ad nauseum on this, but this mentality, this all or nothing mentality is an excuse because doing the hard thing is accepting pretty good, is accepting when, you know, the idea of pretty good versus perfect. Like it's an excuse. Like the all or nothing part is way more about you giving yourself permission to do nothing than you being, you know, all in on stuff. Like, and it's also a lie. Like you, you are, your entire life runs on in the middle ground, in the middle of the spectrum with balance, with, you know, some things go pretty well, some things go pretty shitty. And across the whole spectrum, your whole life, you know, you, 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 let's say you forget brushing your teeth one day. You don't just not brush them again until the next Monday. Like if you slash, if you get a flat tire, you don't slash out your other three tires. If your kid gets a B in school, you don't tell them to quit, right? There's like, we just don't live our lives like that. And then when it comes to nutrition, we throw all fucking logic to the wind and we become entirely all or nothing. Do you know why? Because the nothing part is really easy. And it's easy to do the nothing part. Like people like wear this all or nothing mentality. It's like a, like a badge of honor. Ah, I'm all or nothing with that. Like that's bullshit. And not only that, but it's like, it's pathetic. I'm not saying it's pathetic to, to, to have tendencies like that. I'm saying it's pathetic to wear it like a badge of honor because being all in when you feel like it is easy. Like everybody can fucking do that. whoop do fucking do? You, you're all in when you feel like it. Congratulations. Like, that's not hard. Like being flexible and rolling with the punches and not quitting when things get tough and just getting back on track, giving yourself, you know, some grace. Man, that's the real badge of honor. And so this all or nothing mentality is mostly an excuse for you to quit when things get hard. It, it just is because you don't live your any of your life. You, you know that if your child was going through something and they were trying to be successful at something, this is the antithesis. This is the opposite of the advice that you would give them. But when it comes to you and your nutrition, it's a, it's a lot about going all in 100% and then when it gets hard, just saying screw it and giving up. And that's bullshit. Number five, you eat like a child. You eat like a child. You don't eat fruits. You don't eat vegetables. You don't cook. You order out. A lot of DoorDash. A lot of Uber Eats. You know, everything has to be extremely tasty all the time. You always have to be perfectly in the mood for what you're eating. I wrote... Uh, in the notes I wrote, food is only, is food is always only yum yums. 
Like food always has to taste delicious and it has to be um, something that's, you know, heartwarming and just delicious and, and temporary mouth pleasure. Like, yes, you should infu- you should enjoy your food for the most part. You absolutely should. No one is saying eat plain chicken, rice, and broccoli with no seasoning for the rest of your life. Totally. But damn, food is allowed to occasionally be more on the, quote, fuel side of the spectrum. Like, it's not... Food is not fuel. It is not. People who say food is fuel, that's dumb. It's definitely not. It's it's comfort. It's ha- it's part of happiness. It's culture. It's community. Um, you know, it's it's art. It's expression. It's delicious. And if you think food is just fuel, yes, you're an idiot. But it is a spectrum. And just because food is not fuel is not to say that food is always, always those other things. It is a spectrum. On one side, it's fuel. And on another side, it's taste, let's say. Like, and that is a, is a true spectrum and it shouldn't always be one or the other, but a lot of people are so hung up that food always has to be delicious. I always need to, you know, this always needs to be exactly what I'm in the mood for, right? That plus you eat like a child, not eating fruits and vegetables, a lot of shit that, you know, not that, listen, I eat plenty of stuff out of the freezer and the microwave, so I don't want to just shit on that because I don't think that that, you know, necessarily is always a bad thing, Um but at some point, you have to realize that food, yes, you should be enjoying it for the most part, but that doesn't mean you need to. it needs to be the greatest meal, the greatest taste food all the time. Sometimes it can be a little bit more on the fuel side of the spectrum, In the, especially, man, we're talking about body composition goals. So we're, we have to layer on top of the fact that there's other stuff that's important other than food being yum-yums. Uh, and yeah, I, and I see this a lot where if I'll take clients on, it's like no real like balanced meal composition, like no ability to cook some eggs or something. Like, and I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not saying that like, I don't want people to get down if they're listening to this and they're like, wow, I can't cook eggs or I can't cook a piece of chicken. But the truth is you can learn to do those things and it will help you with your overall health and nutrition outside of body composition, but also with body composition. If you spent, if you recognize that that was important and you learn to do those things, push yourself out of your comfort zone, man, you know why you eat vegetables? You eat them because they're fucking good for you and you need to poop regularly. Like nobody's out there like, man, this broccoli. First of all, I like broccoli and, and you can you can make you can make vegetables taste good. That you, you absolutely can. But you know, most of the time we're eating, you know, frozen broccoli in the microwave and just shoveling it down, thinking like, okay, this is good for me. This is something I'm doing because it's good for me. And when my child you know, grows up and, and doesn't want to eat his vegetables, guess what? He's going to because they're good for him. And I will tell him that. And so you do that too. Cool. Number six, you're not training with intensity, right? And so a lot of these have been, I guess not a lot of them have been fat loss. Some of them have been mindset related. This is definitely, there's gonna be a couple here that are training related. The first one is you're not training with intensity. It's it's very simple. Only the last four or five reps that are closest to failure really cause muscle growth. So if you could do a set of 15 and the 15th rep would be the absolute last rep that you could do with good technique, then of those 15, you got five really stimulative reps. So if you are not going close enough to failure, let's say you do, you could have done 15, but you stopped and you did 10, essentially nothing happened. Essentially no muscle was grown. Now, that's not entirely true. There's probably a little bit of growth there, but nothing that's gonna be meaningful. And so it's like if you aren't getting close enough to failure, you know, or all the way to failure, again, not necessarily all the time, but getting close to failure, literally, literally nothing else about your training matters, nothing. Like what you do doesn't matter if none of it is hard enough to actually, you know, push homeostasis for you to cause an adaptation process. Like 
Not, not how much volume you're doing, how many sets you're doing, how many reps you're doing, not your form, not your technique, not your execution, your tempo, not your splits, not how much protein you're eating, not if you're in a surplus or not. Nothing matters if your sets are a joke. Like it's like literally nothing matters if you're not close enough to failure. And I'm not, that does not, that is not synonymous with getting close to failure is the only thing that matters. It is just the bottleneck. It is the thing that if not for that, nothing else matters. And so, you know, a couple of things on that, like, yes, I understand that, you know, in my experience and in the research, people tend to, tend to grossly underestimate how many reps they have left in the tank. And so you tell someone to go two reps shy of failure, and then they end up finding out that that was really eight reps shy of failure. I understand that. And so if you're somebody out there who's like not really sure, like that is why occasionally going to failure is beneficial. And I've talked about this ad nauseum at other podcasts, but one of the biggest benefits of going to failure is actually finding out what that feels like and, and subjectively what that feels like, but also objectively, which we'll get into the next one is like, as far as tracking your workouts, what you're actually capable of. If you find out that you can actually to failure do 12 reps of curls at 25 pounds, well, then you know if you did seven reps of curls at 25 pounds that it was just not close enough to failure. And so you get this subjective learning that happens of what does it feel like to go to failure? This is what it feels like. But you also get objective data in terms of what it is that you are actually capable of, capable of from like a numbers and tracking perspective that you can circle back to and, and reference. Cool, number seven is program, you're program hopping or you're not tracking your training. And so on some level, I'd rather you stick to a decent program, let's say an imperfect program, where you can learn, apply, like get in the groove, apply progressive overload and course correct as you go, than I would you hop from like really perfect program to perfect program, if there was a perfect program, right? There isn't. And so it's like that, that classic, like I'd rather you do something, you know, consistently well most of the time than perfectly well some of the time or whatever. Um, and, and honestly, that's the truth. Like I, I would rather see, I see some programming and, and I, like if I look at it from like this super neurotic advanced perspective and I'm like, you know, this exercise ordering, you know, could is slightly suboptimal. Like let's say somebody sends me their program. They're like, hey, what do you think? And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I could get super anal and say, okay, this rep range might be off. This exercise ordering might be slightly suboptimal. Like, there's like certain nuances and, and little things we could nitpick. But if that part, like most of the time, if you get a decent program and you follow it, and you get close to failure like we talked about, and you try to push yourself, let's say week to week, block to block to do more, that's 95% of it. Yeah, the 5% is fun to talk about and it's definitely nuanced that I'm interested in, but if you have a half decent program and you're getting close to failure and you're pushing yourself to you know, put a little bit of weight on the bar or add a little rep you know, week to week, you're great, That you're golden. I'd rather that any day than you sending me five different programs that are like really pristine and you being like, yeah, just kind of hop around from program to program. And then the second thing is tracking your workouts. Like, like this one's like full stop. This one's almost like with the training uh, close to failure. It's like, if you're not tracking what you're doing, it's unlikely, and that's a generous way to say it. It's unlikely that you will just casually walk into the gym and feel like putting more weight on the bar or adding a rep each week. Like it's the only thing that's telling you to add another two and a half on each side or to go for another rep is the logbook that says you did that last time. It's irrational for you to expect that you're gonna walk in and just fucking decide to PR week to week. The only thing that's gonna tell you that you need to add a rep or put a little bit more weight on the bar is the logbook. 
And so if you're not tracking your workouts, it's going to be really, really, really ridiculously hard to apply progressive overload. And yeah, and so like to sum this one up, it's like stick with a program for four to eight weeks, let's say, depending on what the program, you know, prescribes and stick with that for multiple cycles. Like even a program that's like slightly suboptimal, if you really stick with it and you have the, the nuts and bolts are there, the, uh, you know, the intention of progressive overload, the getting close to failure, you have decent technique. Maybe the program is not perfect, but man, those are the big rocks. Seriously. Cool. Number eight. We got eight. We got three more. Number eight is that you're, <laughs> you're in denial of energy balance or you're uh, suffering from uh, special butterfly syndrome. And what I mean by that is like, you're just in denial that you're actually, that, that, that this is on you. You're, at, you're in denial that you're actually eating too much, right? It, you know, it must be something else. You know, you're like when people tell you like, oh, it's, you know, they explain energy balance to you. You're like, you know, yeah, but you know, like, but like for my body and my metabolism, my hormones, it's, it's really the carbs or it's eating too late or I'm not fasting enough or it's the salt. Like yeah, this idea of like, well, you know, but for like my body, like you're acting like you're some special butterfly when in fact, you know, 99.999% of the time you're not, you know, there are certain circumstances, sure, 100% that, you know, hormones uh, come into play, let's say, let's use that as like the, the example here of a, a little disclaimer caveat here. Um, totally, there are certain circumstances, 100%, I've had clients go through it myself, but, you know, 999 times out of a thousand it's not something else and it's you're eating too much slash not moving enough. And if you're in denial about how energy balance works and that like energy balance, the reason that energy balance sometimes is a, is a tough pill to swallow that people fight back against it is because it comes with a massive amount of personal responsibility. If I explain energy to balance to you, if someone's like, yeah, I've been eating in a deficit and I'm just not losing weight. I'm like, well, well you're not in a deficit. And that's, that's on you. Now, are, are there other circumstances at play? Are there other factors that we have to take into account? Yeah, maybe. But like, we need to start with the fact that you're just not in a deficit and you are eating more than you think you either are eating or eating more than you think or, or not eating low enough to actually be in a deficit. Like, it's this, it's this, like, this denial about in the very basic sense, how this works. Like those might all be relevant factors in some way, you know, you know, you, maybe you're eating too late and then you're not sleeping well and you're, it causes your ghrelin to go up and then maybe you're not like, yes, eating too late, calorie for calorie means nothing. But some of these things like, I actually, I really don't think a lot of those things mean a whole lot, but let's say there are other relevant factors. At the end of the day, we have to start, we must start with an understanding of energy balance and calorie deficits. Like, people say things like you're eating too much and not moving enough, or they give people advice like eat less and move more. Yes, I understand that's not comprehensive advice. That doesn't help. That doesn't take anybody to the finish line. I agree. But to say that that doesn't help anyone is not true because there are people who do not actually believe what you just said and must come to that side of the argument, to that side of the understanding where they understand that that is actually factually true and that is not the end of the conversation. If you tell somebody, hey, you're eating too much, you're not moving enough, we gotta eat less or move more. Like that isn't the end of the conversation. But God, it is. it has to be the start of the conversation because we, we cannot move forward if you think it is something else. In order for there to be, in any discussion of fat loss, of I'm not losing weight or how much weight am I losing, like 
all of the factors, your metabolism, your hormones, whatever outside factor, indirect factor you want to discuss, it needs to somehow circle back around and affect, let's say, calories in versus calories out. Like something that you're saying is the cause of you not losing weight needs to somehow affect one side of that equation. And now there are a lot of things that affect those sides of the equation. But if you aren't admitting, if you aren't understanding that on some level it is going to come down to energy balance, it's really tough for us to move forward with the conversations. It's gonna be really tough. Like that, what happens is you're gonna end up being the person who's pounding bulletproof coffee, a 500 calorie butter in your coffee and being like, yeah, man, like I'm really hoping that this works. Like really hoping that this plus intermittent fasting plus my deathly illogical fear of carbs is really gonna do it. It's like, oh. Like a big denial of energy balance, this big under this like uh, mentality of like it must be something else, and my body is special, and it it defies the laws of thermodynamics. Like that's a big one. That's a big one that I see, and sometimes it's like it's a difficult pill to swallow because the recognition of energy balance comes, you know, brings with it a, a decent amount of personal responsibility that can be can be daunting. But you know, and not to rant too much here, but the idea of personal responsibility should be empowering, right? It should be empowering, not discouraging. The recognition that you have the power here, that you are in control, needs to be an empowering feeling. Like, not discouraging. Like, you know what would be discouraging? To find out that it's something out of your control, right? Like, to find out that it's some bullshit you need to attack in some weird, you know, you gotta go to some weird functional medicine clinic and they have to like, you know, do some something else to you because you're, you know, your your special butterfly body is messed up. Like to understand that like the personal responsibility in general as a construct should be empowering. You should find out that you are in control, that you are responsible for these outcomes and that should be empowering because guess who's in control of that? You, and that means you can do something about it. And, and this idea of personal responsibility, it's often met with, uh, it's often felt like, I feel like it discourages people, right? Because it, you know, it makes them now have to freaking do something about it. But I wish, I wish it were more empowering. If you find out that it's in your control, how freaking awesome is that? You can do something about it. Cool, moving on. Last two um, is number nine. Every occasion is a special occasion. And this one is near and dear to my heart. Having worked with clients for a decade now, um, I I don't have the most robust social life. Yeah, we do, um, but I've worked with a lot of people who have social lives that are in a different place. And it, a lot of times it gets to a point where like every time you aren't home is a special occasion. Every business lunch, every dinner with a friend, every drinks with your girlfriends, every time you're over at mom's house, like every time you leave the house, it's a special occasion. If you're trying to lose fat or have some body composition goal in general, uh, it's gonna be really freaking difficult if you operate with that mentality that every time you go out, oh, it's a special occasion. There are special occasions. There are gonna be times where I don't, like you shouldn't give a shit about your nutrition. You should just have a good time. Make 90 year old you proud. Like no regrets, who gives a fuck, there's more importance. There's totally circumstances like that. It's just not every time you leave the house. Like it's okay for you to go over to mom's house and you know say, no, I don't really want the cookies. It's okay to go to dinner with a friend that you haven't seen in a while and not get dessert or order you know, a slightly lower caloric meal, let's say. Like, not every time you leave your house is a special occasion. 
it, it sounds simple, but a lot of people feel like, oh, if I'm at a restaurant or if I'm over at a friend's house or I'm, it's every single time they're not putting food on food scale at home, it's a special occasion. And I'm not saying you shouldn't eat out. I'm not saying you can't eat mama's cooking. I'm just saying if every single time you leave the house at special occasions, it's gonna be really hard to keep your calories in check. Like it just is. And that might not be your goal. Of course, this entire podcast is within the context of a body composition goal. And, and while we're on the topic, like these trade-offs that you need to make to maintain a deficit, let's say in this context, it's not, they're not permanent. Like, you know, these trade-offs that you'll have to make in terms of, you know, when you pick and choose your special occasions, they're not forever. Like the sort of trade-offs you need to make to adhere to 1600 calories, let's say, are not the same trade-offs you need to make when you'll be at maintenance, let's say at north of 2000 calories. So a lot of times, I think in general, I think in general, just even not even talking about calorie deficit, I think weight maintenance, um, you know, if there's a reason that the, the majority of our country is overweight. And I think that this is a, something that would go down as helpful for everyone, but specifically, obviously in the case of fat loss, that you have even more strict trade-offs. Um, but every time you go out, it, it can't be a special occasion. You, we need to kind of operate under this. And, I, and I'm not sure, this isn't like a be all end all rule, but it, it does work for some people. Like, you know, and it, it's worked. It's something that I have been thinking about, you know, and I've been told to clients and it's, it's not my, my, my sentence here. Um, but this mentality of like, if it's not a hell yeah, it's a no from me, dog. I got to put the Randy Jackson in there. It's a no from me, dog. Like if it's not a hell yeah, then it's a no. And that's not something that everybody needs. That might not work for everybody, but it does, does kind of, um, kind of magnify this mentality of like, not everything, you can't have everything all the time and expect to either maintain your weight or God forbid, have more ambitious body comp goals. And so maybe take the, from that, hey, like pick my battles. What are the real important things? What are the real things that mean a lot to me? What are the indulgences that are really going to, you know, mean more to me than like, you know, a lot of times I'm sure you've all been in the circumstance where you've gone somewhere and you've eaten more than you wanted and you thought that wasn't worth it. It wasn't even that good. Now, I'm not saying you can prevent all of those times from happening because sometimes it's just, your meal just comes out and it turns out to suck. Um, but you can start to remind yourself that it's not always, you, like there are other factors at play and it goes back to the eating like a child thing. It's like not everything is just always about yum yums all the time. Like if you have other goals, like this entire podcast is about in the context of having other goals. And so you can have every occasion that you, every occasion can be a special occasion if you want it to be. But if you're also not hitting your body composition goals, I would start to look at that mentality because if every single time you leave your house, it's a special occasion where you have to have dessert and you have to share an appetizer, you have to have two drinks, you have to do all of this, man, it's gonna be really hard to stay on track. It just is. Cool. And then the last one, number 10, is an obsession with pebbles. And when I say pebbles, I mean, we talk about like, big rocks versus pebbles. And the, the analogy normally is like, if you were gonna fill um, a bucket with as many rocks or as much weight as possible, the order in which you would put things in the bucket would be the big rocks first, then the, the medium-sized rocks, and it would go from bigger to smaller. That is how you would get the most weight in the bucket. If you start with like sand, let's say, you put sand in the bucket, you will eventually not be able to fit as many big rocks in, anyway, whatever. Um, and so what we wanted to do, we want to choose the, the things we want to focus on first that are most important, that have big ROI, that are low hanging fruit. We call those big rocks. And so obsession with pebbles is like obsessing, you know, having like a flipped value hierarchy where you're, you know, caring too much about shit that doesn't really have a good return on your investment. And honestly, the, the, the irony is like, 
I probably, I looked at these two lists and I'll list them in a second here, but I probably get an equal amount of questions about the pebbles as I do the big rocks. And that is, that is, that's scary, frankly. And so the big rocks would be calories, protein, training, steps or neat, sleep and stress. Like those, and those are a lot of things. It's six things. And so it's not like there's like two things. Oh, just get your calories and your, and your steps and you're done. There are other things that are important. So I think calories, protein, training, steps, sleep, and stress are the most important six things that if you get that right, man, are you 99.99% of the way there. The pebbles are things like meal timing, perfect macro split, anabolic window, supplements, training fasted or not fasted, the perfect calorie numbers, and scale fluctuations. And the irony is I get, I, I, I want to say that I get more questions about the big rocks, but I don't. The, I think it's an even 50-50 split. And so when you, it's like, I don't know if you guys have ever read the book, uh, Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, but it is an, essentially, I'll steal a little bit, a little line from Mark Manson here, um, where it's like, you have a, a, a finite amount of fucks to give. And if you end up giving them to stuff that doesn't really matter, you probably won't have enough left over for the stuff that does. And it's the same with same with everything. You have a finite amount of time. You have a finite amount of energy. You have a finite amount of money. You have a finite amount of, you know, uh, um, just like practical mental effort that you can put forth towards stuff. And if you spend a lot of your time on these pebbles, it's probably going to be, you know, at the cost of the big rocks. And yes, they're not mutually exclusive. You can have all 12 of these things in check. You can talk about all of them and you can really crush it. And, and it, you know, it's not always an either or scenario. It just happens to be most of the time with the average individual. It's like, you know, what's, what, what are my perfect calorie numbers? Like, well, is this, is this calculator perfect or is that one? And I'm like, well, when's the last time you tracked for 30 days to check on your calories or how are your steps? And like, well, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't started yet because of about these calorie numbers. It's like, Sometimes it's a, you know, it's an either or scenario and that's unfortunate because I think we spend way too much time on the pebbles, not enough time on the big rocks. All right, guys, thanks for listening. I will see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.